Before we get into the show and introduce today's guest, I would just like to thank United Medical Credit for being sponsors of this podcast and of the Business of Dentistry. As a matter of fact, they have a special offer for Business of Dentistry members, 0% merchant fees for the rest of the year, and 30% discount for life after that. You can get that special deal by either going to DocOffInvestments.com and clicking on the deal section, or by going directly to www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD. Thanks again, UMC. Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Huffbauer coming to you with the Dear Doc podcast from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. Today we're actually interviewing a good friend of mine, Dr. Travis Campbell, and we're going to talk a little bit about the book that he's just published that's going to help a lot of you guys out there to make sure that your your team is trained correctly in insurance and also to answer any questions you may have about filing. Now, Travis, one of the most perennial questions on the business of dentistry, it, it, it involves questions about, oh, how do I file this? Or, hey, I got denied this thing or, or what have you. And I would, I would go so far as to say, um, you and I very, very seldom disagree when it comes to insurance. Um, but I would, I would have to say one of the most common answers from both of us is, include the damn perio chart. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Talk to me a little bit about some of the questions that you've seen on TBOD and, and perhaps some insights that you can offer to our listeners uh, about how they, they should properly handle the problems they're asking about. So one of the biggest questions always is, hey, I got my claim denied, which they're always interesting questions. And I get them on TBOD. I get them as private messages. Um, and they're interesting because they're always the same problem. And it's a lack of good documentation. Right. And what's interesting is most of the doctors, they're like, I have good documentation. I have what I need. And yet it's not that they don't have documentation at all. I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong. They just don't have the right documentation. Or, and or they, they don't or understand they don't that. Send it. Or they don't send it. Because I, that. Think, yeah. I think one of the problems a lot of doctors don't re- recognize, this is something you and I have spoken about at length, is that there's actually a, 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 an AI that looks at your claims. And if you don't have everything con- uh, <laughs> connected to that claim you're supposed to have, it just automatically kicks it out. Because yep. it saves the insurance company time. So... Talk to us a little bit more about that and, and what, what doctors should be sending with their claims, what things you're sending that they're not doing. So the AI handles 70, 80% of claims across the country. And they're the, the normal stuff. So exams, x-rays, um, cleanings, you know, the, the preventive and a lot of times the basic procedures are completely run by a computer, which the important part to pull out of that means if you're getting denied, it's not because of anything the insurance company is doing. It's because you didn't file something correctly or you didn't give enough information and, or something's inputted wrong. And so that's the key point, at least on the easy side, is to make sure if you are getting denials on this, it's all about submission and it's all fixable on your end, which is great. The other 20 to 30% is usually the higher end procedures. Crowns, buildups, scaling root plane takes a majority of what those are. 
And all of those is usually about just the correct documentation. Right. Um, you know, scaling an airplane, like we just talked about, is all about the perio charts. Um, I've even seen some really good claims with great x-rays. They're like, yep, that's obviously bone loss. And then the perio chart looks like junk, um, mostly because people aren't realizing that clinical attachment loss is not a pocket depth. It's now, a combination. That is that is a huge thing that I see all the time. I and, and guys, to our listeners out there, I mean no offense by this, but it seems like a lot of schools are simply not training graduates in the correct diagnosis and treatment planning of periodontal disease. I mean, so often I, I see somebody, they post about a claim that was denied, and I say, okay, so what was your diagnosis? And they say, well, they had periodontal disease, or they have perio. I'm like, okay, so was it severe? Was it localized? Was it generalized? Um, you know, it, I mean, Absolutely. you know, you know what I'm, you know where I'm going with this. We've, we've had this discussion before. Yep. It's just the first time we're having it on air. Uh, so you're right. It's clinical attachment loss. And guys, if you don't have your mucogingival junction mapped out in addition to your probing depth, well, you can't calculate clinical attachment loss. So you can't properly diagnose that case. So walk us, walk us through how these doctors need to do better when it comes to diagnosis. And, and, and also talk to us a little bit about what you cover about this in your book. So the number one thing is to realize a perio chart has to be complete. PSRs are useless. Those are purely for research basis. I don't know why we're ever taught them in the first place. Um, other for, I suppose, simplicity or whatever. But the, the big thing is there are spots on the perio chart that are empty. And when your perio chart is done, they should all be full. I don't care what you stick in them almost, but they should always be including full. Pocket debts, general margins, clinical attachment loss, including period. Including BOP, because BOP may be the yes. difference between a reduced but healthy periodontium and yep. a disease state. Yep. But it, it's, it's, it blows my mind. Now, of course, I tracked in perio. I thought I was going to be a periodontist. I, I decided that it was just too much BS. I wanted to get out and you know actually make some money. And um, <laughs> so maybe maybe I'm a little bit, more neurotic about that than other people are, but you are. I'm a little bit more neurotic about everything that other people are, though. I mean, you are. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny, right? But um, you know, it, it's we're doctors. We should be exacting. Mm -hmm. So, talk to me a little bit more about this book. You've had one book already. It was a great success. It was the Insurance Whisperer. Um, I actually wrote the foreword of that one. And um, thought it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic addition to the knowledge base that dentists have out there for after they get out of school that specifically won't break the bank because it was a lot of information for not a whole heck of a lot of money. So mm -hmm. you've got this new book out. And what is what are the differences between these two books uh, in information that they have in them and in the approachability and the purpose uh, that you wrote them for? So the first book is the practice whisper, not the insurance whisper. Although I like that term too. So I might use that later. Yeah. Um, it was a practice management book. And it was a lot of it was just a story of me opening an office, screwing up almost literally everything you could possibly do in the office and what I learned from it and what the readers could learn from it. So it was 
a fairly light book, I'd say. A lot of people told me it was really easy to read. Um, lots of people finished it in a day. So, I mean, I always kind of like books like that too. But it was just ways to do better at running a business. The insurance textbook, though, is a completely different thing. Um, it took me a lot longer to write it. Um, it's a lot larger. So we're talking about the difference between a small handheld book and a fairly sizable textbook um, that's 350 pages, and it is packed of information. Um, but the fun part about it is it's, it's written both in a way that you could read straight through it and hopefully in a way that's not boring like most textbooks or reference guides. Because um, I had several people who know nothing about insurance read it just so they could get an understanding. And I gave some good feedback. But it's also a way that you could read just individual chapters because they're each topic based. And so if you wanted to know about secondary claims or if you wanted to know about denials or you wanted to know about you know, non-covered services, you can go to just that chapter and get that information, whether it's the first time you're reading the book or as a good, you know, refresher later. Um, so the book is designed so that anybody with any level of dental ex experience with insurance can pick it up and just move forwards. Um, and that was the big goal is to make it useful for every office to have for their team members currently and for any new team members in the future. Fantastic. So is there any, um, and if you, there isn't, I'm going to put this thought into your head. Do you have any intention um, to create a video series for this type of training? Um, as you know, we've got, we, what I, I may have already put this in your head at some point, but um, as you know, we've got a new consulting company, and this is definitely something I could see fitting within the realms of that, that consulting company. So even if not, I'll still promote it because I think what you teach is great. So talk to us a little bit about that. So yes, um, we've already got, so I've been doing CE courses, um, spoken, recorded for a while. And what I'm in the middle of doing is updating the old ones and expanding them. So currently there's three courses online that are about three hours total. Um, I'm expanding it into about 10 hours worth of courses. And each and there's probably going to be 10 to 12 courses within that. And so it's just a lot more information, a lot more detail, um, but also a lot more valuables. Um, the courses in the past were all audio based. These are going to be video based. Um, and they're going to go a lot more detail into what we can do with insurance and knowledge that people need to pull up. Um, so yes, it's, it's a fun project I'm working on and it should be a huge benefit to a lot of people. And that website um, update with all the courses should be available sometime in November. Fantastic. Well, hopefully you'll post it on TBOD so that our members can actually um, get the, get the knowledge that they need. So, Just for you, Chris. Well, thank you. Thank you, Travis. So it, it's funny to me because over the years, because um, we've known each other quite some time now, we've, um, we, we've kind of, uh, actually, I knew this guy before I started the business of dentistry, guys. Um, do you remember Dental Buddies, right? And um, he was always trying to tell me to stop being such a hothead and calm down. They had that one chick, that one who really just, drove me nuts 
and I, I had to say something. <laughs> but that is neither here nor there. Um, what's been amazing to me is seeing you um, just change over the years uh, so far as your ability to speak to people. And I very recently, I got to see you uh, doing a live CE event in Florida. And um, you, you're an amazing speaker now. So just, just a shout out there. Um, I, I remember when, you, when you, first, you first started speaking on this and we first started talking about this, our, our conversations were rather facile because there were so many things that people were missing and there were so much um, just really simple mistakes that people made. And our conversations were very low level at that point. But as we've gone through the years, um, and you convinced me to join the TDA and actually get more involved in the insurance legislation process, uh, our, our conversations have, have morphed into not just what is now, but what could be and what should be. Um, and, and, and how do dentists deal with this ever-changing world of insurance and how do they survive? And so talk to me a little bit about what, talk to me a little bit about what your, um, your thoughts are going forward. Where will we be in 10 years? Oh, that's always fun. Um, you know, DSOs are, you know, pulling a lot more market share, corporate offices, um, and that's going to continue. Now, what I don't think is going to happen is what a lot of people fear is that private practice is going to go away. It's yeah, just not going to happen. What I think is happening is a lot of the dentists who don't really want to or have a passion for running a business are going to end up selling. And the ones who do have a passion for running a business are going to do better, step up their game and be competitive. So I think there's a good market still for private practice dentistry. Now, why that has to do with insurance is, you know, the corporations are dealing with the insurance companies more than we are because they have buying power more than anything. Absolutely. But even that, there are ways around that. Um, we recently renegotiated pretty much most of our insurance plans and we're getting fees that are very similar to what my membership plan is. So we actually went back and network with multiple plans. And this is where I know you and I disagree a little bit on how to run a business, but we've, I mean, it's been amazing. Our collections are way up. Our profits are way up. It's well, and, and we're I'm, doing I'm gonna, really gonna, well I'm say right in network. So far as insurance plans go, you know, I am a fee for service kind of guy. But do you know why I'm a fee-for-service guy? Because you're you like to be known as number one in your area. It's not no, even that. I, there's several so reasons. The reason that yeah. I'm a fee-for-service advocate is because I believe that you should only be spending five to seven percent of your gross production on mm -hmm. advertising, and insurance plans in general, you are spending between forty and fifty percent of your gross production on advertising. It's just a shitty ROI. That's the whole reason I'm against insurance. Um, that and, um, well, there are things that go into that, like denials, but mostly, mostly di disallowals now um, that really heavily influence that decision. So for me, it's, it's just a no-go because it doesn't fit basic business management models. 
You know, so and, and everyone's everyone's mileage may vary. You know, if if you're getting if you're getting reimbursement equal to what your savings plan is, well then that's that's an advertising cost that you're already okay with spending to acquire those patients. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. What doesn't make sense is being held hostage because of fear that you're going to lose patients that you're losing money on anyway. That has always made my head want to explode. Every time I hear a dentist talk about, I can't go out of network, I'm losing money with this insurance, but I can't go out of network because I'm losing my patients. I want to take duct tape and wrap it around my head so it doesn't fucking explode. That's why I hate insurance. Yep. <laughs> so I don't think we, did, we necessarily Fair disagree, enough. but I think in the final analysis, you would agree that any insurance that you're losing money on, you should drop. And, you, and you've done that. Yes, absolutely. So, I just don't think anybody should be losing money on insurance. Um, I mean, a good example, you brought up disallows. Disallows are probably the biggest problem in dentistry right now, well, from an insurance point of view. And the good news is the ADA is doing something about that slowly. Um, I'm actually on the background starting to work on doing something about that. And a majority of it is realizing you can get around most of them. Um, Some of them come from, again, a lack of documentation. So for instance, the most well-known one is um, buildups being disallowed. Well, that's purely a documentation issue. If you provide the right documentation that was necessary, every insurance company will pay it. Even though it's funny because I hear it all the time going, it's inclusive. I'm like, no, it's not. That's just the only language an EOB has. It's not that that's the actual true answer. Um, So at some point, disallows are going to go away because there's no reason for them. They don't help the insurance company one way or the other. They just ruin us. But if you understand the process better, you can get around most of them pretty easily. Um, But you have to have a better working knowledge of insurance. And that's the big thing I I always talk to people about is if you're going to be in network or you're going to be out of network and still file claims, you need to understand the process and you need to understand how to make it work efficiently. And if you don't, then yeah, you're losing money and you might as well go fee for service because there's no point. But the, the thing I talk about a lot is unfortunately, there is a large section of the population that regardless of what you do, what you say, they're never going to an out of network dentist. Right. And it's, and it's a majority of them. And there's nothing you can do. So you can either 51% of those with insurance. And so that's, majority of the population. Um, Those are ones that you will never, ever, ever see out of network. They're just too brainwashed by the insurance companies. Now, the other side of the population, yes, you have a chance of getting, but now you're competing with every other office for those patients. So it's a difference of, you know, if you're a really good orator, if you can talk to people, if you can connect with people, if you can build a great relationship quick and you can gain that, then by all means, go fee for service. But if you're like me and that's too draining or that takes too much energy or I just don't have time to do it or I don't want to do it, um, or you just want to be able to help a larger section of the population, regardless of what your reason, insurance just happens to be something we have to deal with. And we can either beat our heads against the walls and complain about it and do nothing about it, 
or you can learn more about it and actually win the game against the insurance company. And that's what I do every day. You know, it's, it's funny um, hearing you say that several years ago, um, I was actually complaining to Travis about something and he looked at me. And no, that never happens. Never. Well, you never complained back either. So, <laughs> so oh, no. he looks at me, he says, at um, why don't you get off your ass and do something about it? <laughs> Which if you guys know, Travis is uncharacteristic. And uh, it kind of kind of took me aback, and I said, "Okay, you're you're right. I should get off my ass and do something about it." And so I um, I got more involved in the TDA and in legislation, and we were able to change some laws pretty seriously here in Texas. Um, and um, there's still things that need to be changed. I mean, the the disallows is another mm-hmm. one, absolutely. But what about the ridiculousness? I, I I you know like okay, you can't charge. A buildup on the same day that you charge out a crown, or crowns pay on delivery but not on prep, or you can't do more than two quadrants of SRP the same day, or you can't do SRPs on the same patient except for every five years. What, what is it? Delta's five or seven? I don't even remember. It I don't have to worry about policy anymore. <laughs> But it's three or five and it depends. Well, it's two or three on scale of group planning and depends on the policy. Again, those are disallows that are easy to get around. I mean, the Delta one, it's dumb, but you just don't do more than two quads a day. It's simple. And you just but is explain that, to the is patient. That a service to the patient? Is that in service to the insurance no. customer? Is it? Or to yours? So. I talk about in practice management, I talk about in insurance, I talk about just in life in general. We have to prioritize what's important and what we can do something about easily versus difficult. The one thing with Delta, and I say Delta just because they're about the only insurance company that cares how many quads you do in a day. Um, there's a couple others, but Delta's the main one everybody remembers, is just don't do more than two quads a day. I mean, that, that's just it. It's really simple to fix. Um, oh, and there's a way around it too on the, uh, well, get, let me finish this one because Absolutely. a lot of people kind of don't think about this from a efficiency point of view. And we do this all the time. If we have that policy, it actually sells our restorative plans better because what we end up doing is we just say, okay, you've got some fillings and crowns to do on both sides of the mouth. Let's do your SRP and half your restorations on one day, and let's do the other half on another day. So instead of just doing all the scaling at once and then all the restorations at once, we're still only doing two visits. So from our side of things, it really isn't any different. And from the patient side of things, it isn't really different, other than the fact that now they don't have to be numb everywhere twice. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell so you. There, there's you some positives to pull out of it. There's some dentists out there whose heads are exploding because you proposed not finishing the perio treatment and doing a recall before doing any work. And we're going to leave that alone because that is not what this podcast is about. But you know I'm going to get some hate mail over that statement right there. So let's, let's backtrack a little bit to the fact that insurance companies can tell you they won't pay for that. Um, that is by fiat dictation of treatment. As is, you can't do a buildup and a crown on the same day. That's dictating treatment. And it's also causing the patient to be less likely to come back and get the work done. It is causing harm. And so by every definition, they should be charged with 
practicing dentistry without a license and doing harm to patients. Hey guys, now a quick word about our sponsor. I'm really excited to announce that we've partnered with United Medical Credit to offer an exclusive deal just to TBOD members. Now, United Medical Credit is a patient financing provider with unique waterfall lending process. It allows them to approve a much wider range of applicants. In fact, the widest range of applicants in the entire field. I've been using United Medical Credit in my practice for a couple of years now, and I'm seeing great results. They really speak for themselves. I see at least 30% increase in the number of patients who are actually approved whenever going through UMC. And the best part is, patients are accepting treatment. More acceptance, more patients means more revenue. Right now, they're offering TVOD members a special discount of 0% merchant fees until the end of the year. That's right, until the end of 2021, you get 0% merchant fees charged. And they're going to give you a 30% discount for life after that. Now, if you want to claim this offer for your practice, go to www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD. Or as always, you can go to Dockoff Investments, click on the deal section, look up UMC, and register. Thanks a lot, guys. And UMC, thanks for sponsoring. Yes. I was going to say, I I was gonna say convince that. me that I'm wrong. And it is a fight that's... <laughs> no, I will say that is a fight that needs to be had. Absolutely. And again, my take to the insurance company, and I say this because the only way to fight insurance companies is to get them to realize that what we want won't affect them. Because we're not going to change their mentality. But what we can do is make them realize certain things they're doing take a lot of time and effort on their end. Right. For no benefit whatsoever. Absolutely. And that there's easy ways around it from our side. And I so it's not that. actually accomplishing what they want. I love that you so said that. And you, the more people who read your book can do things that will cost the insurance more, more money. That honestly, I think that is the approach is to educate enough dentists so that they're costing the insurance companies money by knowing how to get around all these stupid clauses and make them pay anyway. Because it, then they have to have all, all these people who to work on the claims and it's costing them money. If you hit them in the pocketbook, that's how change is going to be going to be made. The disallows, for instance, don't actually cost them any money at all because they could easily just deny it. But for instance, I mean, buildups come up all the time. Buildups are disallowed in error more than anything. And what I mean by that is if you provide the right documentation, you'll get the buildup paid, period. It just, it gets paid. Or you get the patient to pay it anyway. So it shouldn't actually ever be a disallow. It's just understanding how the process works in order to get your money one way or the other. We've got to realize too, you know, my, my mother actually worked in an insurance company for her entire career. Now she was life insurance. Um, so she doesn't understand there's, there's some nuanced differences between, well, she understands it. She just doesn't like it. Nuanced differences between what disallows are, you know, you can't really disallow a, a death. I mean, it just, it is what it is. Um, but that would, that would be one hell of a selling. The point. difference. All deaths will be disallowed. I'm going to disallow dying. That's yeah. Why That's not right. I live forever? Um, but the thing is that the insurance companies, policies are there to say dictate how much they pay they're not there to dictate what is done 
And that's one thing like you were talking about that's a problem. But we've also got to realize in many ways, our goal is not necessarily to get the insurance company to pay more because in many instances, the insurance company is not going to pay more. Our goal is to get paid what we should get paid, which in many cases is getting the patient to pay for it. And does it suck for the patient? Well, yes and no, because that's the policy that they purchased or more often their employer purchased. If it's a lousy policy, it's a lousy policy. I mean, for example, I I saw the worst one ever two weeks ago. It covered covered only a comp exam, x-rays, and only an FMX and only profies, period. That was it. Yep. Comp exams, FMX, profi. If you if you think that through, their second visit, they're not going to pay for any exams, any bite wings, period, ever again. All they'll pay for is cleanings. And it is the worst policy I've ever seen. Right. And we actually told the patient, we're like, look, if you didn't have insurance and you had our membership plan, you'd pay less. You would actually be paying ten dollars more, period, to get everything done every visit. And I'm like, you realize you actually are losing money on what you're spending on the insurance policy because you're definitely paying more than ten dollars a year. Um, it's not helping you at all. And it's a federal plan and it's just, it's crazy, but that's what's out there. Does, does this same plan have a one year waiting period? No, because it doesn't cover anything else. I, so I the waiting, there's no waiting period. Similar. I've seen one that was very similar, but it had a waiting period to get the exam. <laughs> and I just, I looked at it. I was oh, like, that's impressive. Okay. This is ridiculous. How much did you pay for this? It was like $40 a year or something like that. Yeah. I was like, well, you just handed somebody $40 a year. You need to get a different plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so question that comes up a lot. Dr. Campbell, I just did a composite on this tooth and the insurance downgraded it to an amalgam. Can I charge the difference? And why did yes. they do that? Well, yeah, I'm asking this because you know how much, how much I know. don't understand I know. that. Okay, so let's, okay, let's, downgrades. let's describe what LEET means and go from there. <laughs> okay, so I'll start with downgrades first. Downgrades okay. only affect how much money the insurance company pays versus the patient. It only changes the ratio. The office still gets paid the same exact amount. Whatever your negotiated fee for the composite is, is what you get paid because that's what you got done. Right, but you can't you can't charge more than that. You can't charge your UCR, but you can Correct. charge. It's still a covered service. It's still a covered service exactly. for the composite. So you know if your amalgam fee is low, great. That just means the insurance company's not paying much, and the patient's paying more of that composite. So a, a lease is a least expensive alternative treatment. And this happens in lots of things. It's fillings, it's crowns, it's implants and ridges. It's just the insurance company's way of saving money. What they do is, you know, an employer goes to them and says, hey, we don't want to pay as much. Um, so we're either going to pay less with you or we're going to go with a different company to do our insurance. And so the insurance company is not stupid. They're like, okay, well, we'll make you a policy that'll work. We're going to start pulling things out of it. One of the things we're going to pull out of it is that we're not going to pay for high-end, quote, treatment. We're going to pay for the lower-end treatment, whether that's amalgam or base metal crowns or partials instead of implants. All they're doing is saying, we are going to reimburse less. 
the dentist is still going to get paid the same because it's just a downgrade. So, but the important thing to pull out of this is to know when there's a downgrade, because then you just need to tell the patient up front, their portion is going to be higher and you collect it now versus having a, a problem later once the EOB comes in and the patient owes money. And if the, the big thing is filled is done correctly, you're going to know if there's going to be yes, a downgrade. It's the easiest question to ask. I know. It's the number one question that should be asked. Do you downgrade any service? If you do, what are they? If, if people it, had insurance bills that were done correctly, and you, you know, you, you've seen Kenzie's work, you know what she does. It frustrates me oh, yes. no end. People go, $1,400 a month, that's so expensive. No, not only is she replacing an entire employee, she's actually doing her job better than they did. And she's saving yep. you money and frustration because the bills are correct and every single quote is correct. Yep. And you know beforehand. And you know what? We tried training people on how to do that. They didn't want to learn. Yep. It just, it blows my mind. So I want an argument here. Mm -hmm. Dr. Campbell, if an insurance company negotiates a fee for a composite, but it's stated in that insurance plan that they always downgrade a composite to an amalgam, then is a composite filling truly a covered benefit? Yes, because they're still paying something on the composite. So when you, when you look at what's covered and not covered, the, the thing everybody thinks about, they're, they're somewhat incorrect, but they always think about is, is there any reimbursement for that service? And if you downgrade something, you, there's still reimbursement for it. It's less, but there's still reimbursement and for that service that you even if you downgrade it every single time. But that yes. is, that's something I hear come up all the time. And sure, if you want to fight that legislatively, we can have that fight. But I'm, yeah. I'm worried dentists are going to start getting in trouble as these reimbursements are getting cut. They're going to start listening to these guys and going, well, that's, that's not covered, so I can charge for UCR all No. Well, and here's uh, the thing. Again, it goes back to priorities. It's what are you going to fight with the insurance company? Are you going to fight the downgrades, which means you still get paid the same, it just the patient's out of pocket more. It doesn't affect you, the dentist, at all, other than if you didn't know it and I have an argument, but that's an easy fix. Or do you focus on things that actually do affect our bottom line and do kind of affect our ability to collect money, like disallows? But here's the thing. If you fight downgrades, it's going to cost the insurance company money, so they are going to fight you tooth and nail. If you fight disallows, they will not cost the insurance company any money so they're a lot more likely to accept it. So the thing that is going to get us more money as dentists and the thing that's going to affect the insurance company, not at all, meaning it's an easier battle, is the thing we should focus on. We should not focus on the small wins. We should focus on the big wins. And a downgrade is an extremely small win. Because again, if you do it right, you still get paid the same. So why argue? Absolutely. It's, just, it's not worth it. I, I think dentists get indignant. On, on the yes. patient's behalf. And, and I'll tell you, it, it was one of my favorite things to do whenever patients got upset with us for insurance is to look at them and say, you know what? This upsets me too. I can't believe that your mm -hmm. insurance company is doing this to you because it puts the blame squarely back where it belongs to be. It needs to be where it belongs. But in all honesty, guys, this is the patient's HR department's problem. It's not your problem. And being helpful is great, but there is no nobility in poverty. You know, losing money 
just to be a nice guy is just dumb. You know, and it's not going to make your patients not say, I hate going to the dentist or I hate dentists whenever they sit in your chair. They're still going to hate dentists. They just, you know, they just hate dentists. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how we as a society got to the point where um, it was okay to target a profession like that and say that they're horrible or whatever. We have the fifth highest fifth highest confidence rating for ethics professionally of any profession in the entire world and yet it's okay to for us to have that kind of abuse dished out of this it's kind of shitty you know but well and you got to realize too though because i get this one all the time and it it took me years to learn this and it was a huge breakthrough for me professionally personally is in most cases that patient was not saying i hate you doctor they were saying i hate what you have to do on me yes and that's a huge distinction and you take that further and i've had many patients tell me this too it's that the patient's actually telling you doctor i like you personally so much that you are allowing me to get over my anxiety and fear of going to the dentist and so when patients actually tell me they hate going to the dentist, in many cases, I see that as a confidence booster because it's them choosing yeah. me over their fear. And yeah. that's huge. And yeah, that's I, our ability to help people. I, I've actually, my, my patented response to that is, well, thank you for your trust in being here today. Now, yes. there, every now and then, if there's a patient I just don't like, I'll look at them and say, I hate you too. And then I just won't say anything else. And then they get real uneasy. And then you just crack a smile and say, I'm joking. But we hear that all the time. What can we do to help you? But it pushes that patient back on their heels a little bit, makes them re-examine. And for the rest of that, usually those are, those are consults. You know, people who've never gone to the dentist in years and they just don't even know how to behave as human beings. But they pushes them back on their heels a little bit, makes them reassess, and it puts them off balance for the rest of that consult, which is nice because those are the ones who are the attackers. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But yep. that's patient management lesson 112 by Doc Huffpower. <laughs> your your phone just fell out, Travis. And you, you thought you were gonna you thought you were gonna be just like, you know, turn and you you know pretend. But um okay, so we talked a little bit earlier about where the world of dentistry is going. We talked about the DSOs. Um, one of the things that you said there, I both agree with and disagree with. The, the day of the private practice is not over, but I think that the day of the mom and pop dental practice is solidly over. I don't think that you ever again in history will see a 30% overhead. And that's what- A 30% overhead, maybe too high or too low. Oh, you're talking about 30%. Okay, I'm thinking profit margin. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm Yeah, I'd agree with you. 30% overhead, overhead is, is not going to happen again. I'd agree. So I think that um, we will, for probably the next 10 years or so, have people who piddle with dentistry. People go in and they work mm -hmm. when they want to work, lifestyle-type practices. 
um, and th that don't elevate their skills. Now that that's the big denominator there is, okay, did they learn something beyond what they learned in dental school or are they still practicing? I, what I like to say, I have, I have, I have dentists sometimes Well, I'll say something and they're like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I've been practicing 15 years and I'll say, well, I've practiced seven years, but I've practiced seven different years and you've practiced your first year 15 times. <laughs> you know, yep. I don't know about you, but dentistry has been a huge, huge learning curve for me getting out of school mm -hmm. and, you know, finding out everything they didn't teach you that you didn't even know existed, much less the things that they didn't teach you well enough that you knew existed that you were already worried about, right? And so I'm a huge advocate of CE. Yep, If absolutely. you are a new dentist, you have not been taught how to manage a practice. You have not been taught how to manage insurance. If you are going to be taking insurance, and you probably should because you haven't had enough education yet so that you can separate yourselves from your peers, you need to take Dr. Campbell's courses. You need to buy his books. You need to learn everything there is to know about insurance. And then you need to take his advice to me. Get up off your ass and get involved. Because mm -hmm. that is the only way that we as a profession are going to survive in any recognizable form. So, Dr. Campbell, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you end this off here. This is going to be one of our, our shorter formats. We'll be going about 40, 45 minutes. Um, tell us anything I should have asked about concerning your book but didn't, or anything that you just want people to know about, even if they don't buy your book, that might change their practice tomorrow. Okay. So let's go with three points, just because three points are always the key in everything, right? So the first one is, if you don't buy the book, number one thing you can get out of this podcast or pretty much anything if you ever listen to me online um, is get better documentation. I mean, that is everything. It is everything for the state board. It's everything for patients. I mean, if you have a tooth that goes bad and you know, patient complains, why is this tooth hurt now? All you gotta do is pick up, pull up a picture of the nasty decay that was in their tooth, and the conversation ends. Like it's done. Um, you know, photography is so key in what we do now because almost everything we deal with in dentistry is visual, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people I would hate to be a physician because they're taking guesses all day long. We don't have to guess. We can see ninety-nine percent of what we do, but we're not showing it. So if we show it, life is so much better. I, I remember cameras when I first bought them were four to six grand. And it makes me sick because now all the cameras in my office are 300 bucks. Mouthwatch. Which I was going to say you use a mouthwatch, right? Yeah. Is the most amazing thing ever. And it has completely changed what we do because it makes life simple. It takes 10 seconds, maybe 15 if we're slow, to take a photo of a tooth mid-op on Where's the decay? Where's the broken tooth? Where's everything? And by the way, that is the number one thing we do to get claims paid. Period. I, I was going to say, build up send photos. you better be taking pictures for your Oh, videos. yeah. So that's number one, is just take pictures. It will help you in every aspect of dentistry. And it will help you in practice management, too. Because I can tell you, 
The second a patient sees a before and after, or just what the hell was in their tooth, they're sold. You are, you're it the cat's meow. It doesn't have to be their tooth. I actually, I keep a file. Hmm. Every time I find a, um, a lack of reality, a lack of commonality with a patient, mm -hmm. patient worries that such and such is going to happen. Even if it's not realistic, mm -hmm. I get a testimonial from another patient that says that's not going to happen. Or I take pictures yep. before and after pictures and testimonials where someone goes, my God, Dr. Huff power is the greatest. He took out this tooth over here and I didn't feel a thing. I didn't even know the tooth was gone. That right there or a testimonial that says, um, you know, just joke with him. Say, hey, would you, you, how was that injection? Was that okay? Did that hurt? No. All right. You promise you willing to make a video that says that a video of a patient that says Dr. Huff power gives the most gentle shots ever. I never felt a thing. And you save those in your consult room in a folder called patient objections. And as soon as a patient says, blah, you say, oh, well, hold on. Let me show you a before and after this lady was a little bit worried that we wouldn't get the shade right. And then you stop and you go, what do you think? Mm -hmm. So yep. yes, Absolutely. document, 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 take photographs. All right, your next tip. So dentists are cheap. I'm cheap too, I get it. It's, it's not an attack on dentists, it's just we're cheap. Um, lots of people don't like purchasing things unless it's gonna return money on them, which I'm good with. That's I good mean, sounding businesses. Yeah. If you spend money, you need to get money back in multiple folds. So this book is more expensive than my original book. My original book was 20 bucks. Um, this one's about a hundred. Now to give some people an idea, this one, if every book similar to it, this one has vastly more information. So it's the same price as a lot of others, but you're going to get a lot more out of it. But here's my promise to everybody. If you implement even a fraction of what's in that book, you will earn your money back within the first week. Absolutely. You easily earn your money back in the first day. So this book isn't something I'm trying to say, hey, let me make a bunch of money because actually the publisher owns it. I don't really get much out of it. It's the, you need this book because you will make vastly more money applying what's in it. So that's my small sales pitch is I, I think that's very fair you know I'm and I'll even say this if you don't like this book within a month of reading it and you implemented it and it didn't work for you which I know is never going to happen but I'll throw it out there anyway I will buy the book back from you Just good then you, can, then you can you can buy the book. my autographed copy yes exactly I will send it to doc <laughs> and we'll probably frame it because it'll be the only book in history we ever get back but you know the point is just get it. I mean, it's, there's, there's my guarantee to you is if you don't like it, I will personally purchase it back from you. Um, cause I can't do a refund this publisher, but I'll, I'll send you the money. I'll even pay for the postage because again, I don't expect it to happen. Um, so that's the fun one. So point number three is as we move forwards in life, the number one thing we've got to learn is how to improve ourselves. You know, almost every challenge we've got in life, and this is something that took me, again, years to learn, was a problem with me when it comes to running a business. 
yeah, there's team members that don't do their best job. It's because I didn't train them well, or I didn't lead them well, or I didn't hold them accountable. There's patients that are, you know, doing things we don't want them to do. Well, in most cases, it's probably me at the beginning, not putting my foot down and going, here's the rules of being part of this office. Or not getting paid on insurance. It was purely a lack of understanding on my part ever on not getting paid. So everything in life that revolves around business is about improving yourself. And that's why CE courses, that's why mentors, that's why sticking on TOBD and if nothing else, just lurking and reading and learning. You know, everything we do, the more we learn, the better we are, period. And it's just, it's been an amazing journey. And the more I've learned through everything, the better I do. I mean, this year alone has been an awesome year. And it's crazy because there's all this negativity around a lot of other things. But I've never had more fun in dentistry this year. I've never collected as much as I did this year. Our profits are double of what they've ever been. And it's only small improvements. But each small improvement can make a massive difference. And so we get paid on what we do now because we deal with insurance correctly. So, so it's all goes together. How big of a part was getting to place implants? So placing implants has been a lot of fun. So I started that two months ago. The fun part is I've already paid off everything. Yeah. The training courses, all that the initial all equipment, ever. all the, yes, all the implants, it's all paid off. Now it's just, it's not pure profit because the implants are, I mean, they're a couple hundred bucks a piece, but it's near pure profit. So it's, but it's just more fun. It is. I'm actually thinking, because I've been doing root canals for years because patients need them, blah, 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 blah. I still hate root canals. I'm really thinking now of just saying, I remember I'm just never treating another. I remember yeah, when you started doing those... them again, I said, why don't you just do implants instead? And you're like, because patients need root canals. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I, I, I'm about to make this distinction. I was honestly just thinking about it last week because I had one that drove me nuts. I'm about to say I will never do another first molar again or maxillary first molar unless it's on somebody under 20. Just not going to do Just it. tired of the calcification? <laughs> yeah. And the MB2 I can never find, but never seems to be a problem. But it'll be a problem 10 years from hey, now. So I found MB2 and it changed Geographic my... success. <laughs> I just I don't like root canals. I mean, implants are so much easier um, and so much better service too. And you know, it's just it is what it is. So yes, implants have made a big difference. I I mean, we're doing twenty ish a month, ten to twenty a month. Nice man. Um, nice. Which I mean, yeah, that's that's a big part of our increased collections, but it's a huge part of our increased profit for sure. Yep. Even um, if you only learn how to prepare the site, guys, so amazing. You know what the best part about implants are? They last forever. They don't hurt as much. They're simple. I don't know. What's the best part? Not having to jack around with insurance for the most part. <laughs> yes, that too. Um, and even if you do, it's still not a big deal because it's either they pay it or they don't. They downgrade it or they don't. If you do, you still get paid the same. Absolutely. If you know um, how to file insurance, how do you like that segue? Was that was that a good segue? 
Thank you. You, you missed my comment about MB2? No, I gotcha. I just, it was a bad <laughs> just joke. Just ignored so me. Just ignored me. Yep. Fine. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> well, guys, this has been Dr. Travis Campbell. And of course, he's got his first book, The Practice Whisperer. Insurance Whisperer is going to be his third book. And um, what is what is your second book called? It's called Understanding Dental Insurance, A Guide for Dentists and Their Teams. All right. Fantastic. Where can they buy that? They can get it on the link that you're probably going to post, or they can find the link in t- you know, TOBD. Um, or they can just email me if for whatever reason they don't have access to either of those um, at drtcampbell.gmail.com. So okay, and publisher. last thing is usually one of the first things I do. Didn't think about it until now. Uh, Dr. Campbell, do we have any kind of financial arrangement for me to be telling people to buy your book? No. Okay, fantastic, guys. You heard it here, no affiliates, no commissions, none of that. Just great information that we think will help you to practice better, be more fulfilled in your practice, and earn more money. Travis, thank you for giving us your time today. And guys, thank you. Thank you for giving us an hour of your time listening to the sound of my voice droning on. And um, I hope that you found something of value in this podcast. Remember, subscribe to the podcast, like the Facebook page. It helps the channel and it makes me happy. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms. Hey folks, before I let you go, I just wanted to make sure I thank United Medical Credit for sponsoring this podcast and also the business of dentistry. Go check out their website at www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD to get a special deal. 